And I was also in my 30s at that time. So I wasn't looked at as part of the new era. And so um, I didn't get picked up. And uh, I had to just, I had to redirect myself. I had to pick myself up off the ground and decide, okay, I can't give up. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm, you know, I've got I've to come with some streams of income here. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, how's it going? This is Bree Noble, and you are tuned into the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. And today I've got a guest who's an expert in something I've never had on the podcast before, and that is a vocal coach. Hard to believe that it's been two and a half years and I've never had a vocal coach on the show, but I picked the right one to start off this trend of giving you some specifics on how to sing correctly, because I know most of you that listen to the show are singer-songwriters, and that's how you make your money with music, and your voice is your asset. And Judy has a lot of experience as an artist herself and then training a lot of well-known artists as well as indie artists and people that have been on shows like The Voice and American Idol and America's Got Talent and all kinds of stuff like that. But besides that, she's just a really cool, approachable person. She doesn't hold anything back. And you will learn some very, very actionable tips on this show, which was I was hoping that she would share when I asked her to be a guest. Now, she's got a really cool blog and podcast called All Things Vocal that I highly recommend. In fact, I was a guest on her show. You should check that out at allthingsvocal.com. And she talks at the end of the episode about how you can reach out to her if you want to train in voice with her. She does do virtual studio, which is very cool because you can actually meet with her over Zoom and do it, you know, from the comfort of your own home, wherever you're located. You don't have to be where she is in order to get trained by her. And she's actually developed a whole technique around that, being able to understand and hear issues with the voice and how to improve the sound even over the internet, which I think is amazing. So definitely listen to um, about halfway through the show where we start talking about that. The other idea that might be sparked in you when listening to this episode is well, how can I start my own vocal studio? How can I start teaching students and share what I've learned to help other vocalists get better? And maybe I would want to do that over the internet. So she's got some great tips about that. But if that's you, if this episode gets you really excited about teaching, whether it's voice or anything else, I've got something really cool coming up that I think you're going to love. And it's very timely in relation to this episode. And that is that I'm doing a workshop with a couple of friends of mine, Allie and Claire from The Marketed Musician, and they are going to be talking about how to grow your studio, how to get more students, and how to set up a business as a teacher. And the great thing about teaching voice or teaching instruments or teaching songwriting Um, you know, guitar, piano, whatever it is that you do, is that you've got that recurring income. And that's a piece of your income pie that you can count on every month, whether you've got gigs or not, whether you have a new release or not. So I highly recommend that if you feel like you at all have the ability to teach others, that you look into this income stream. And to do that, you should come to our workshop where we're going to be talking about how to get students and how to build your studio. If you want to come to the workshop, please go sign up at femmusician.com slash teach, femmusician.com slash teach, T-E-A-C-H. And that's F as in female, E as an entrepreneur, musician.com slash teach. 
And if you're listening to this when it comes out, this workshop will be happening this week. So make sure you get signed up right away. The date will be on the page. And if you're listening to this after the week of October 23rd, then make sure to email us over at Brie, B-R-E-E, at femmusician.com and just say you'd love to know when we're going to be doing that workshop again. All right. Now let me introduce you to our guest today, Judy Rodman. Judy Rodman is an award-winning vocal coach, recording artist, stage and media performer, public speaker, author, songwriter, and studio producer. Host of All Things Vocal blog and podcast, Judy coaches singers and speakers in person, online, and in packaged courses. Her students and recording clients have appeared on The Today Show, Letterman, Ellen DeGeneres, The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Grammys, CMA, ACM, and MTV Awards shows, New York Times bestseller list. Here is my interview with Judy Rodman. So that's a little bit about Judy Rodman. So Judy, is there anything that's not in your bio? And boy, do you have an extensive bio that I couldn't even like at all go into in the beginning. <laughs> I could have to pick and choose. But um, is there anything that's not in your written bio that's maybe a little more personal or interesting about you that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think so. It, and it's that the fact that I'm a mama and a wife and a sister and daughter and friend. And finally, I'm believing in a balanced and creative and well-rounded life uh, rather than just being, you know, totally consumed by my work. And I found that that actually helps me do better in my work. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's the biggest part, that I do actually have a personal life and that that's as important to my being useful to somebody else as a coach, you know, mm. as, any, as anything. Did, did you, was there times that you didn't have that balance? Because I look at, your, at all the credits on your website and I'm like, how can one person do all this in a single life? Like maybe there was a time where you just were a bit out of balance. I know I've had those times. Definitely. And, you know, I still struggle with having time. Uh, I make time to go see my family and hang out with my friends. I have to make time, but I feel like it's a quality problem, you know. Uh, yeah. And the, and the, one of the reasons that I have such a long, you know, bunch of credits is I started really young. I started when I was 17 years old with my first professional uh, jingle singing, singing that. And I, you know, actually started singing when I was two. So with my family. So I've just been doing it forever. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm in my 50th year oh. of uh, not, not of age, but of actual work. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Yeah. So let's, then let's get into that. How did you get started in music? Well, I didn't mean to actually go into music as a career, but my family moved a lot and we ended up in Jacksonville and the school system wasn't very good so <laughs> from Miami. So uh, I started just going into more of the what I did naturally as, as with my family. My father was an air traffic controller and on the side, he always sang and played and wherever we were, we were making music of some kind. So by the time I started... Uh, uh, you know, I got into college and, and went, to, went to college for a while, meaning to possibly be a, a music educator, and then got sort of sidetracked by getting a full-time jingle singing position in Memphis, and then just never looked back. And, and my, my career is rabbit trailed all over the place. Mm. But the funny thing about it is full circle, now I'm a music educator. So it's, it's like uh, I had a premonition of that and and danged if I didn't turn into that. That's interesting. So how did you get into that music jingle job? I, I know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to do something like that. Well, at the time, I was going to this particular church and my choir director, uh, I was the church pianist and also sang uh, some, you know, in, in the little groups and stuff that we did. And he started doing jingles. He and his wife was, his wife was an incredible soprano. And uh, so he enlisted me to be in the group to start doing the jingles. And when I figured out I could make money singing, mm -hmm. I, I just sort of went from there. 
That's awesome. Yeah, usually a lot of us don't figure out we can make money from singing for quite a while. So you can <laughs> right. in that area. Um, so I saw that you had a lot of really great credits as far as, you know, billboard credits and performing with some major country stars. So how did you kind of get your big break in that area? And what was it like performing alongside those people? Well, the the way I got that career as far as being an artist myself, uh, that came after a significant jingle career and background vocalist uh, career. You know, I was singing background on lots of records in Memphis, and then we moved to Nashville, and uh, and in Nashville, and uh, I was doing backgrounds for a producer named Tommy West of Cashman West, and that was right before he joined with two other people to form MTM Records, which was a subdivision of the MTM Enterprise uh, in L.A., and we were one of the first indie boutique album uh, uh, record labels in Nashville at that time in the early, uh, uh, in the late 80s or mid-80s, rather, mid-80s. I'm not even sure I knew there were, like, country indie labels in the 80s. Mid-80s, we were pretty much the first. Wow. Especially the first that had any real national success, I think. And so uh, that was an extremely uh, amazing label with amazing people. Like, for instance, Scott Borchetta was uh, the assistant Scott Borchetta heads up Big Machine, which Taylor Swift made her career in, and he was the the power behind that. Well, he was the assistant to Bruce Schindler, who was the promotion guy at MTM. So Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of right things that went right. So uh, I had a number one and had several top top tens in Billboard and won the... uh, the female new female vocalist award at the Academy of Country Music uh, Awards, and uh, went from there. So I had a a really good three year run. I I did lots of things like got got to do Austin City Limits and got to do the Tonight Show and uh, you know all the big all the big TV shows of the time of the era. So I didn't realize at the time that that actually was going to come in handy for me to have that experience that I could share then later, you know, with other artists and and people that I'm vocal coaching now. Mm. Well, it it sounds like you you had a lot of obviously talent, but great luck and like where you were at the right time and all that stuff. And, you know, were there any times that you were really struggling as as an artist? And you know, how did you push through that? Well, the worst thing that happened was that it ended. Mm. I, I, I tell people there's something worse than never making it, and that's making it and losing it. And, and not most a, of the people that haven't made it think, oh, that's not worse. If I made it, I'd just be happy that I made it. But the people on the other side, you right, know. right. And that thing is, the thing is, uh, there was no reason because I was doing really well and all that, and then MTM folded. At the, you know, the, the people out in L.A. decided they didn't want a record label. BMG bought MTM and decided they didn't want a record label. So it's like, it, it was like uh, Cinderella, you know, the mm. coach uh, and the, uh, the whole, the shoes and the whole bit. Everything disappeared. <laughs> and uh, so... You were left with a pumpkin and... I was left with a pumpkin and some mice, yeah. Shoe. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, that really threw me for a loop because... Once you're on top of the world, I mean, everybody kind of, it's like you feel like that's never going to end. Mm. And then when it, it does, for whatever reason it is, it is, it really throws you. But again, in my journey towards what I'm doing now, uh, it's, it's helped me. You know, you can turn that crap into compost if you sort of <laughs> give it to God and, and, and let it process and choose to look at it like, okay, that's part of my journey. That does not define me. That is just part of my journey, part of who, that part, part of the reason I know what I know. And so I use it in, for, for all those reasons. And uh, my work as a vocal coach now, uh, and even my doing my own album uh, in 2015, again, for the first time, it, it's informed by all of that, both the success and the failures. 
Oh, that's so true. It's so so easy to see that in hindsight, though, for sure. Right. I mean, we've right. all done it. Uh, did, had you done some like self-development work that you handled it like really well when it happened? Or was it like... A, oh, it was awful. When it happened. Okay. It was a nightmare. I cried so long. Oh. I think I... I think I lost three weeks of my life. Oh, I couldn't, I, you know, it's like it didn't make sense. But then in the arts, the business of the arts, it doesn't make sense. It, because if your market is not where you are, then no matter how good you are, it, it's not seen as successful. And that's one way I help my students is to like, you've got to separate your art from your business. And you've got to do both really well. But you may be ahead of your time. And like Van Gogh, well, don't cut your ear off and, you know, throw it, you know, <laughs> jump over the side of the banister. The thing is that you, you've got to know when you're doing your art really well. You've got to know when you're singing really well yourself so that you don't let the market forces tell you how good you are. That's very dangerous. And then if you have that self-confidence to know when you're not good and when you are good, then uh, you can do your business and it's not going to, uh, if the business isn't where you're at at the moment, it won't stop you and it, and it won't crush you and it won't define your voice for you, you know? And mm. on the other hand, if you are at the top of the world, you won't believe, you know, that your voice is perfect and then end up with nodes because it wasn't. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's some really, really good advice. So I'm curious, did you ever try to shop to other labels or did you then kind of sw switch gears at that point because you didn't want to go through that again? I, I did shop uh, other labels, but the problem was when MTM uh, folded, <clears throat> when MTM when MTM folded, that was about the time that the real young ones were starting uh, to to come on board, and the labels were changing, and the Faith, Faith Hill came uh, on board, and, and there was starting to be, it, it just was like a wave. We opened up, I think MTM Records opened up the floodgates for new artists. And then we, you know, it, it, when we folded, it, it was right at the wrong time. And there was a tsunami of new artists. And I was also in my 30s at that time. So I wasn't looked at as part of the new era. And so um, I didn't get picked up. And uh, I had to just, I had to redirect myself. I had to pick myself up off the ground and decide, okay, I can't give up. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm, you know, I've got to, I've got to come with some streams of income here. So what I did do was I started songwriting and that opened up for me. And long story short, I uh, finally signed with Warner Chapel. I had signed with different, different publishing companies and has little success here and there, but I finally got a number one as a songwriter. And the, the funny thing was, I was writing that for myself, trying still to get back on board as an artist myself. And I was talking to Arista at the time, and that was one of the songs they were interested in. Well, this little no-name 13-year-old cut it, you know, with that my, my publishing company pitched it to uh, Chuck Howard for one of his unknown acts which of course did not make me happy, but it turned out it was Leanne Rimes and it was a number one and I got a BMI millionaire award for it. So you never know, you know, you just got to roll with it. You just got to roll with it and, and just keep, you know, looking for where the windows of opportunity are open. But then if you want to continue with this weird little rabbit trail, it, it, you know, at that point, uh, my, at, at some point, my, my songwriting thing sort of, it, they weren't cutting what I was writing. So I ended up having to think of something else I could do. Well, an old friend of mine named Carol Chase, she was out on the road with Leonard Skinner, and we had sung together for decades already. And she knew I knew something. She knew that, that there was something about me that, you know, I, I had directed a lot of groups that she was in.
So she was having trouble with one note that she, that she was singing on the road with Leonard Skinner. And she asked me to help her with it. So the funny thing was, and we were really good friends, but the, the two thoughts that occurred to me was, number one, how do you know I know? And number two, why do you think I want to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and of course I did. I helped her with it. And, uh, and it worked. And then I thought to myself, well, maybe I know something about vocal coaching. I'll just put my, hang my shingle out on the, with the local paper. And, and I did. And I got a couple of students. And I was able to help them. And then through, that was about 20 years ago, and I just got interested in it, and I got curious about why that worked, and I realized I knew some things because of the stuff that I had done myself, and what I knew some things that worked, and I tried them out on people and used every student as a guinea pig and, and, and grew this ability and this method finally of vocal coaching that works, that really works, not only to maximize resonance and, and uh, maximize the ability to reach an audience, but it also conquers vocal strain. So everything has gone into what I do. And then that's become my main, my main thing. My main shingle is now that of being a mentor of other voices. Oh, that's that's awesome. I love I love that you kind of fell into it by accident. And oh, I did. You figured out that you loved it and you had something to offer. That's yeah. So cool. yeah. I love I love when that happens. So um I'm curious because I think I saw on your site that you actually do some virtual lessons. Is that right? Oh, all the time. Probably oh, half half my students are over Zoom. Wow. So how does that work? Like, do you, do you feel like you can really diagnose people, you know, from far away and, and help them and really be able to hear the quality they're, they're producing? You know what? That's an excellent question. And that's what most people ask me when I first, you know, offer mm-hmm. that, that And be option. able to see how they're breathing and, you know, all that stuff that goes along with it. Right. Well, the first thing I do is... Uh, tell people, and this is true, I started teaching by phone before the webcam was, <laughs> was possible. I That's taught awesome. people I never, ever met in person by phone. And that's because I've grown this ability to hear, even through sketchy signal, you know, which definitely phone has been sketchy signal. I think the weirdest place I've ever trained somebody was from, I was in the Home Depot parking lot and they were in a green room somewhere and they were having trouble. So I helped warm them up. But I can hear whether or not somebody's eyebrows are lifted Mm. because it affects the tone. Right. They're going flat probably if they're not lifting their eyebrows. Or or they're going flat or they're they're, uh, numb sounding. Mm. And their resonance is not there because they're not allowing the eye language that that lets certain frequencies go to the places in the resonance mm. uh, resonance system that those frequencies want to go to be to be magnified. So there there's a lack of life. Uh, there there's some limitations as well. So I'll say raise raise your eyebrows, and it always freaks people out. Like okay, where is she seeing me from? <laughs> but I can tell whether the chest is caved in. I can tell whether where, where the head is balanced. And I can tell whether there's freezing in the body somewhere just by the sound of the voice. But of course that's true. Because if it wasn't, then me t- asking somebody to change their body or facial language wouldn't matter. But it does matter. Mm-hmm. It matters to the voice. Where somebody is... Uh, positioning themselves and balancing themselves, uh, uh, you know, matters, uh, you know, big time. So if I can see them as well, it's gotten to where the, you know, when, you know, when Zoom gets sketchy, yep, uh, it's, it's the voice that usually goes. And even if, even if people freeze, at that point, I'll say, okay, call my landline because it's a little better quality than my voice uh, than my cell phone line, call my landline, and then I, I can see you if I can see you on Zoom, but we'll turn our speakers off, our computer speakers off, and just chat over the phone. Oh my and gosh, I, that's the beauty of Zoom. I was just thinking about this yeah. for my next interview. Like if, if she, she doesn't have the right internet connection, we can totally just use the phone. Totally. And mm-hmm. I'll have, with my students, I don't want them to hold the phone, so I'll have them put it on speakerphone. Mm. 
And then, you know, like I say, I can, I can tell. The good thing about being able to see them is I can, you know, pinpoint it exactly. I can, I can find a wall behind them that I want them to back up and, and put themselves against and all that. And uh, I can also see where their, their uh, boom stand is. Uh, I can see where their strap is on the guitar. There's some things that it's good to see visually. Mm. But uh, it matters how you hold a mic. It matters where you're putting, you know, your guitar on your body. It matters how you cradle it or wear it. It matters how you're touching your keyboard. All that stuff matters. And I can, I can see all that over the webcam. Wow. Now, are you training people in all genres? And, yes. you know, do you have a different way of training? I mean, do you actually train like classically? Because I was classically trained. Right. Do, you, do you train people that way and then, and then also help them with maybe their singer-songwriter stuff? Or do you not take a classical approach? The only thing, I, I don't take classical students unless they have vocal strain issues. Mm. And then I can help with that. But the reason I don't is I'm not, competent with that repertoire. Ah. But I do take, you know, musical theater students. I take any, any contemporary vocal uh, student I can in any of the contemporary genres, which is anything other than classical. Right. But, uh, but classical uh, is, it's a different voice path. It's a little more frontal. Uh, it, it's different. And I, I, I'm so glad for the limited classical training I did have uh, because of, how it built my head voice. And so I use head voice exercises to help my contemporary voices gain strength in that, in that register, but, uh, but not, not the actual classical repertoire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that being classically trained. Like, thank goodness I learned how to use my head voice. I do think occasionally as being classically trained, it can make you sing in a way that doesn't make sense for the kind of music. You know, I, I always have to be really careful with that. Do you ever have any classically trained students that are trying to do like country? I or do. And they, they have issues like sounding too classical? I, I do. And These not just... indulgent questions because I want to know the answer. <laughs> not, not just uh, country, but also I'm, like one of the first classical singers that I retrained was a singer who had a master's degree at Eastman and uh, the Royal Academy in London. But she hated her voice because it was all that high, high, soft palate, uh, big, huge sound. And it didn't sound like the stuff she was writing, which was absolute alt rock. I mean, she was angry about stuff, you know, she, she wanted to sing like Paula Cole. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, anyway, long, after four years of working with her, uh, I, she actually, I, teach, I taught her to teach uh, contemporary voice as well, and now she's actually a, co a teacher at Belmont, and oh she God. now she's now she's a jazz singer. She's a well-known jazz singer, and uh, but it took a while to. And here's the thing that she did: she went the opposite direction. She totally flattened out her soft palate instead of allowing a little lift. So I had to teach her to trust, uh, uh, bringing that great head voice uh, training. And, and strength that she had into her middle voice. And we built her middle voice. And now she can do Celine Dion. She can do that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, it's like, don't throw the, don't throw the baby with, out with the bathwater. The thing is that I teach people it's two different languages. In, in classical voice, you're bringing your head voice down too far for contemporary voice. With contemporary voice, you're bringing your chest voice up too high without allowing some head voice influence in it to, to develop a beautiful middle voice that's like land between the voices. Yeah, I always, whenever I listen to Kelly Clarkson, I'm always thinking to myself, is that her chest voice? Is that her full chest voice? Exactly. Up to those notes. I could never do it. Uh, well, I'll tell you a secret right now. <laughs> the way you join your chest voice and your head voice in a way that uh, is more seamless, where the the top of your chest voice almost sounds exactly like the bottom of your head voice, is out the back top of your head instead of straight up. Mm. So if I go straight up, ah, 
I've got a lot of breaks. <clears throat> but if I go out the, if I go out like pulling up and back, which is my method, ah, there's no break. Wow. And uh, that's if I, if I try to push the top of my chest voice, that's going to be strained and it's going to be thin sounding and uh, it's yelly sounding. But if I pull the top of my chest voice, yeah, yeah, instead of yeah, you know, instead of the pinched uh, <laughs> thing, the pulled chest voice doesn't hurt me or my listener. Wow. Wow, that's a cool demonstration. I don't, I don't know that we've <laughs> ever had this kind of demonstration on this show. I love it. I love it. So besides doing that, which I know uh-huh. is a big bad habit of just pushing your chest right. to the limit, what are some of the other bad habits that you see people come in with? Well, muddy articulation can be one. And mm. I don't even like to use, you know, articulate more clearly because that can end up taking the popular genre singer into more of a mechanical sort of articulation uh, place or even worse, over-articulating and making it sound like musical theater, bad yeah, that, musical That's theater. what I would do because I'm a choir right. singer, so I would right, be like right. articulating everything right on the beat, you know. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, and again, I tell, tell people, it, it, it's just different languages. You've got your choir personal language or your musical theater language, and then you've got popular genre language. And the bottom line is this. There's, you know, I teach people that you can affect people, your performance can affect people three ways, musically, visually, and lyrically. And if you don't, if, they, if the person that's listening to your song can't understand what you're saying, you've lost 30% of your ability to impact them. And if you're good enough vocally and you're good enough, you know, with the, the visual and the musical is all working, then maybe like, for instance, a, a group called the Civil Wars, you oh, can't, them. you can't understand them or uh, <laughs> Sturgill Simpson, you can't understand them. But if you could, I think that you could, they could Im- Im- impact people even 30% more because as it is, people are going to have to go, I mean, you know, as it is, they're going to have to go look up the lyric. And usually when you look up the lyric, the lyric's been typed wrong anyway. <laughs> so uh, if, if you, it, it, different genres like R&B, you use a looser articulation, um, something more in the, in the country genre or, uh, perhaps uh, EDM, it's a little bit clearer articulation. But you need to find how people are speaking in the genre that you want to sing. You know, and the best way to do is to try to mimic the masters of that genre. And you'll realize you, the best ones, you really can understand what they're saying. Now, somebody in another genre might not be able to understand it, but that audience can. Mm. So find that audience uh, you know, find the way the best singers in that genre are articulating the lyrics and then do that. But don't just like, make it sloppy because that's singer-songwriter kind of uh, working. You know, singer-songwriters, a lot of time they're all into it and all that and, and they're slurring their lyrics and they sound all cool and all that stuff. But if they're not giving me what they're saying, it's almost like they're stealing a song from me. And it's one of the worst habits a singer-songwriter can make. Oh, lyrics are so important to singer-songwriters, too. If they knew that their lyrics weren't getting across, they'd probably be mad. Right, right. <laughs> so the best thing to do is listen back to yourself and mm-hmm. see if you, if you weren't um, the, the writer of that song, would you know what was being said? Yeah, or just get your friends to tell you. Right, right. It's always funny to find out what people think the lyrics say when they don't actually <laughs> right. understand them. <laughs> right, right. And another thing that people do a lot that come in doing almost all the time, pushing, muddy articulation. The other thing is bad mic technique. They're mm. using their mic in a way that whether they're playing or holding a mic uh, or for musical theater, they're using their hands. There's a way to use your mic uh, to actually help your voice because of what it's doing to your rib cage or hurt your voice uh, and disable your voice because and strain your voice because of what it's doing to your rib cage. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, posture, it all relates to your mic and how you're holding it and the right. position of the stand and all that stuff. Exactly. It all, and that all, the mic should feel like it's in the middle of you or you should feel like the mic is in the middle of you instead of in the front of you. Mm. Hmm. So, you know, I know that, you know, like Adele and people like that have been in the news with having nodes and I have friends that have gotten vocal nodes. Why do you think so many people suffer from that? What is the main reason that that's happening? Pushing, Mm. pushing. And it's caused by when you get there and, you know, sometimes the worst thing you could wish on somebody is success because they're having to play, they're having to perform so much. Okay, number one, you're feeling like you've got to give more than you did last time. You know, you have to outdo yourself. Outdo yourself. And number two, you're tired. If you sing correctly, you're using more of the big muscles in your body. And those are the ones that use more glucose and oxygen. I teach people to sing from your butt. In other words, sing your butt off so you don't sing your throat off. Mm. It's It's like riding a horse downhill. Uh, you sing from the saddle area and you squeeze your rib cage and your throat open like a water balloon squeezing it from the bottom. But when you get tired, you're going to go more for squeezing in the diaphragm area and that blows the lid on your breath control. Mm. Uh, and then you're in trouble. And then you're going to tighten your articulation and then you're going to get, your voice is not going to do the right thing. So you're going to push harder to try to make it work. And then before long, you've, first of all, you've got irritated vocal cords that are not happy and they take a while to recover, uh, which you can't do if you've got a gig the next night. And then two, then, then, so it's a vicious cycle. And then it leads to the beginnings of the blood blister that becomes the node and, and, uh, and all that. But here's the good news. If you retrain that, you know, your voice, if you're going to talk in, in, in music business terms, if you are a singer, your voice is your main asset. So the thing is, you can fix it. Almost always it can be fixed without using surgery if you retrain it. And um, that's where people like me come in, uh, it is, is retraining it, getting the pressure off the cords and letting your power come from the way you articulate and your resonation so that the vibration from your vocal cords is, is reaching your resonation uh, areas, but because your throat is open. So that's, you know, you kind of got to reinvent the wheel here a little bit and get back uh, to great vocal technique. And to prove a point, I have a picture of one of my students who when they first came to me, I knew they were in trouble. So I sent them to Vanderbilt Voice Clinic here in Nashville. And sure enough, they had a huge polyp. In -hmm. fact, they were diagnosed with an inoperable polyp. And the advice was, you need to find another line of work. Wow. Well, the person decided, it was an old gospel singer, and they decided that that was not what they were being given to do in their spirit. So long story short, they didn't stop and they used my method of retraining, you know, and the grace of God. And they uh, went back to Vanderbilt Voice Clinic two years later, uh, after two years of performing, feeling better, just to get a little update. And they got scoped again, and there was no sign of the polyp. Mm-hmm. And that was with no surgery, nothing other than changing technique and the grace of God. Wow. So if that happens to somebody, do you recommend like total voice rest for a while or just retraining? I recommend number one, uh, you always want to, if in doubt, go to the, go to the doc, go to a fellowship trained laryng- laryngologist, which is a lar- an ENT that specializes in voice to make sure there's no cancer. Mm. And uh, or anything you know like that. So you want to rule that stuff out, and you know, a major damage, or uh, uh, and and also to get the doctor's advice for the period of vocal rest that you need, because if there's real vocal damage, then you got to start with a clean, you know, like resting that the the thing. But then, yes, vocal retraining. Mm. 
So, so we don't get ourselves in trouble this way. What is the best way to warm up before a gig? Like how long should they warm up? Do you have, do you always, I mean, obviously you can't give the exact exercises that you recommend, but you know, do you recommend exercises or just singing through their songs or just? That's a great question because number one, if you do vocal exercises and you don't know how to do them, like any athletic, uh, you know, basic skill, if you don't know how to do it, you can hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's even, if you don't know how to do vocal exercises, just lightly warm up with your easiest song. And I like to have what I call vocal volume songs, which is a, <laughs> uh, you know, I, when I noticed when I was doing my country concerts, I warmed up by, uh, listening to, even just listening to someone like Kiri Takanawa, uh, a classical soprano, and Sandy Patty, who is a wonderful Christian singer who sings with a real bell-like voice, and also Barbara Streisand, Hmm. who sang with a very open-throated, you know, not pushy voice at all. And here's here's why. You can, if you listen to singers like that, the instrument, your, your voice configures itself. It moves when it hears another voice, which is why my vocal coach would tell me when I had laryngitis not to even listen to music because the, 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 vo- the, the, uh, the larynx and the apparatus moves to what it's hearing. And your audience's larynx, even if they're not singers, it, they move to what they're hearing. So listen, in the first place, have some really good vocal volume uh, ear candy. And then also have your own uh, song that makes your voice feel really good. Like somewhere over the rainbow is a, is a typical one I give people. Mm. Uh, but if you do know how to do vocal exercises and you can pull them instead of push them, then the typical semi-occluded uh, vocal uh, exercises like the bubbles or the sirens, ooh, but I'm pulling all of them. It's almost like inhaling them instead of exhaling them. Oh, that just and, reminds me of being in college and walking into the practice rooms and you hear all these people going, ooh. You know, <laughs> right, right, and morphing. Uh, the voice wants access to movement, so I like to do weird things like, hmm, ah, and things like that to really stretch the cave in a way that almost feels like you're inhaling the sound, hmm. uh, and and then slowly stretching your range out and blending your registers. So that's that's kind of the way I I recommend warming up. That's awesome. And how long? I mean, like, how long is too long? Well, if you're doing vocal exercises correctly, there's really no, you know, you wouldn't want to do it till you're physically tired. Right. Because that's counterproductive. But uh, I've got a, a guy that I worked with on the vo- that uh, was doing the voice, and we would warm up. He wouldn't feel, would not feel warmed up until I had worked with him over the phone with vocal exercises for 45 minutes. Wow. Now I've got other people who they just want a five or 10 minute vocal warm up. I generally like to record 45 minute, uh, 25 to 45 minute vocal exercises for people to do in between gigs, you know, for vocal uh, strengthening and maintenance when they're not doing gigs. And then five or 10 minute or or 15 minute uh, vocal exercises to do before gigs. But really, if you're gigging more often, and you're using good technique, you need to warm up less uh, for a less amount of time because you're kind of, you've got your stamina, you're in good shape. But don't, you know, I, I don't ever recommend starting, a, a, you know, to sing before warming up mm, at yeah. least, you know, five or 10 minutes. But I'll tell you something, it's more for form than for stamina. You know, I, I want people to warm up to remember good vocal technique. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. Get in the zone. Right, right. For sure. Well, this has all been so amazing because it's all so actionable and you've given like really specific stuff for people to do, which is awesome. I have one more really important question and that sure. is, how do you recommend that 
somebody find a vocal coach that's right for them? First of all, how do they find a good vocal coach? And secondly, how do they figure out if it's the right vocal coach for them? This is probably a very big loaded question, but... No, not, a, not at all. And there's a good, there's a good answer. The, the one way that I think is the best way is to get word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, and that is, you can even look on the internet for, you know, vocal coaches to see where the stars are, see where the reviews are. But get, uh, if you know anybody that's, that has worked with them, and, I'll t- and also know that just because they've worked with a ton of stars doesn't necessarily mean they're a great vocal coach for, uh, or a va- great vocal coach for you. Because, you know... Uh, it's just using a lot of names, and those are already great voices, and who knows that they didn't stress that voice out. You don't know. You just know that they've worked with a, a bunch of names. So don't necessarily uh, go for just name value. Um, but word of mouth, uh, you know, what their reputation is. Uh, the second way is trying them out with one vocal lesson. If you don't feel like they helped you, your voice feel better, and sound better with that first lesson, they're not a good vocal coach for you. Uh, If it feels better and sounds better, you also want to know that they want to help you do what you want to do, not necessarily what they want you to do. So they should be more like a midwife helping you birth your own baby. Girls will understand that more than guys, so this is applicable. Okay, this is a girl for you, <laughs> right? Exactly. So uh, they they should be trying to help you do what you do better. Oh yeah, that's so true. I mean, just like if if you want to sing like Alanis Morissette, and somebody wants to make you sing like Celine Dion, that doesn't make any sense, right? So the first thing is how you know assess how you feel with what they're suggesting. Now that, you know, you might not be able to do what they're suggesting, so give them a little grace there. Make sure that you are doing what they're asking and suggesting you to do. But with, if you feel like you are, that should make you feel better, make, make your vo- voice feel better. And then uh, if it feels better, it should sound better. Are most vocal coaches open to you recording your lessons so you can kind of go back and see? All of them should. There's okay. no reason, no reason at all, not to be able to record whatever part I would of think that would the, be true. I just didn't know if some vocal coaches are like, that we have the secret sauce and I don't want this getting out somehow, you know? No, not, not really. And, and the truth is, there's no substitute for a one-on-one. I sell courses and there are a lot of uh, courses out there that I bought uh, and they will teach you a lot. And if you can't afford a lesson, that's definitely a way to go. But now nah, there's no secrets out there that would, you know, should impact a a good vocal coach's career. Let's put it that way. Mm. And I agree. I mean, it's it's true with anything. You can buy courses and courses are great, but there's nothing like getting a one-on-one sit down or stand up with somebody that is, knows exactly how to help you. Right. And then, then uh, sometimes it's kind of a combination of things because you want, you know, professional vocal coaching is expensive. And uh, if sometimes people do better by getting a lesson from time to time or at the beginning and then getting a course if they trust that coach. Mm. And then if they're confused with something, they can come back. But that makes it economical for anybody to be able to, I mean, there's no excuse for anybody to have to use bad vocal technique or hurt their voices. Hmm. Well, this is a perfect segue for me to ask you how people can get in touch with you, how they can find out about courses that you have and working with you one-on-one. Well, there is a very simple answer to that. And that is they can find all that stuff at my website, which is simply juddyrodman.com. That is way too easy. Okay. <laughs> are, no, you on, are you on social media? And also tell them about your blog. Oh, yes. And, and you can find that at my site as well. But my blog is uh, called All Things Vocal. It's also a, a podcast that you can get on iTunes and all those places that you get podcasts like your great podcast. Which I'm privileged and, to be on. It's, yes. Uh, I think probably will already have been released at this point. 
Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, and I'm so glad that, so happy that, that you did that. But yeah, you can get tons of free vocal advice through that blog. Uh, and I am on Facebook, Twitter, and all, all the rest of those places. Uh, my Facebook page is called Judy Rodman Voice. Mm. And I have a group as well there. So uh, that's uh, called Judy, it's called All Things Vocal Training. That's the group. That's Facebook, right? But you can find all that stuff from my, from my site at judyrodman.com as well as a place to contact me from. Okay. So, so if they uh, wanted to do a one-on-one lesson, they could contact you that way. Right, right. Perfect. This has been so great. I don't think I've actually ever had... I, which is kind of amazing since this has been around for two and a half years, but I don't think I've ever had specifically a vocal coach on here. So everything well, you've I, given us has been so actionable and great. Well, I'm honored and especially knowing the training that you've had. I'm <laughs> glad, I'm glad it makes sense to you. Oh, absolutely. It totally, you didn't say anything that I thought that doesn't, I would never do that. So yeah, <laughs> that's all exactly very similar to the way I learned. But the cool thing is that you work with people in all different genres and you work with them to sound right for their genre. And that's obviously not the way I trained just because I trained in college. And I wish I had done that later in life so I could have gotten a different perspective and on vocal lessons. Well, and you know, I, I love working with all kinds of voices and it is, a, it's the coolest thing because really just like athletics, it's a team sport. You know, it, it's uh, it's the teacher and the student. And so what the student brings to me, my job is to find out, number one, where I can help. And then, you know, h- how fast I can help and to make sure I'm helping the student go in the direction they want to go. So that's uh, that's what the best vocal coaches, I think, and I know p- plenty of other ones too, but the best vocal coaches are going to want to do that. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your insight today. And I know our listeners have really learned a lot. Bree, thank you so much for including me on your awesome vlog and podcast, rather. Uh, it's, it's an honor to, to work with you. And I can't wait to uh, uh, see, it, see it out there. And, and, and you'll be on mine. And so we'll be helping people do the things they want to do. You are welcome. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson. <laughs>